Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular, completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. My guest today is Trisha Lewis, the creator and host of Recovery Happy Hour. For years, she was emotionally and physically addicted to alcohol, but really good at making it look like she didn't have a problem. But eventually, Trisha found that life as an entrepreneur while drinking as much as she was, was too much to handle. She quit drinking and learned how to recover as hard as she drank without looking back. Trisha took her last drink in November 2016 and says that life without booze is so much better than she could have ever imagined. And I am a huge fan of Trisha's because I love her podcast, Recovery Happy Hour, because it celebrates really inspiring stories of recovery from addiction and gray area alcohol abuse, but more importantly, what happens after you get sober and life beyond the bottle. So Trisha, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it is it it is something that I have wanted to do and we had to push it off because I went on vacation. So I'm really excited that that you were able to reschedule. 
No, I'm flattered. Thank you. Thank you for letting me be here. I'm I'm psyched. Yeah. Well, when we were just chatting before we started recording, we were talking about how when you were quitting, you were actually pretty high functioning. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your story? You said it dealt with sort of perfectionism and anxiety. What was the reason you decided to stop drinking? Well, the reason why I decided was, um, well, really, I I don't want to say I decided, my body decided, you know, um, it goes from high functioning to scary very quickly. And uh, my story starts with just growing up in a very traditional household, except I had a sibling who had a really severe drug and alcohol problem. And it's pretty typical for the loved ones around somebody in addiction to put all their energy towards that person and not really take care of themselves. And what that looked like for me as his sister was uh, I was an overachiever. You know, I wanted to make up for any sort of lack of, I just wanted to make things as peaceful as possible in my house. If I could overcompensate for what was happening, I felt like I was, I was contributing something to the family. So I was really into earning, you know, validation, earning love and, and uh, just achieve, achieve, achieve the more perfect, the better. And I carried that, that work ethic with me, uh, you know, into adulthood, I was in the restaurant industry for a long time, I was a chef. And in the restaurant industry, you work really long, crazy hours, and it's pretty common to drink pretty hard. You know, you, you put in 12 hours and then you go out, and you, you drink as much at night and then you get up and you do it all over again. And, you know, as long as I wasn't getting in fights with people or getting DUIs and, uh, you know, there weren't a lot of, uh, traditional consequences that you think about when you think about the stigma of addiction or alcoholism, And I thought I was okay. You know, I'm like, well, I'm pulling it off. And I was very protective of my drinking, you know, being around somebody who's causing a lot of destruction for the people around them, including myself, I know how chaotic that is and how much that hurt. And I didn't ever want to be that person. So I made sure that my drinking was contained. It was in private or, uh, you know, just let's laugh this off. Like I just didn't want to cause any destruction. So I was really obsessed with making sure that everyone thought I was fine. You know, if I ever wrote a book about my life, it would be called, don't worry about me. I'm fine. You know, it's just, so, uh, I just, uh, I kept up with that for a long time. Just like, Oh, you know, let's make sure no one's worried about us, but I'm still drinking, you know, a bottle of wine a night, you know, and then a couple of cocktails on top of that. Anxiety is also a big part of my story. I think that that started when I was about seven and that pairs really nicely with perfectionism as well. You know, when you're not achieving as, as great of, you know, as great as you want to, you just, you're, I was just so hard on myself. And I was also, I, I didn't have a coping mechanism to express anger, stress, frustration, these things that I was feeling, I just wanted to pretend like everything was fine. My drinking got pretty scary. Well, I would say I felt like it wasn't normal. Uh, When I was about 23, I noticed I was blacking out a lot. And that didn't feel funny to me. Like, I feel like if I went out with friends and and somebody would kind of laugh, you know, they talk about that they didn't remember what they did the night before, they could all laugh that off. And to me, that was really frightening. And so I, I, I just knowing about 
about alcohol and what it does and, and, and having a history of it and my, of, of uh, alcoholism in my family, I knew that I probably was going to have to quit someday far down the road. Right. Uh, but that I approached that when I was in my mid thirties, I was still working, just working, working, working and drinking, drinking, drinking. And again, looks like everything's fine. You know, I'm not, you know, I, I, oh, this is expensive vodka. Oh, but I'm doing this at nice dinners. Oh, but these are, you know, $600 shoes. Like, it's just like, no, I couldn't possibly, I thought I could just outsmart this thing. Um, but I got a, a surprise divorce in my mid thirties. And that's when I needed, I started to need alcohol. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm stressed out. I'm going to have a glass of wine. It was like, no, I, I need this in order to get through my day because these feelings are too big for me. And I didn't have the coping mechanisms to really process those and work through them in a healthy way. Things really came to a head after a weekend of what would look like socially acceptable binge drinking, you know, parties three nights in a row, boozy brunches. And I woke up on a Monday, I just couldn't shake the hangover. And I was, I noticed that that whole weekend, I was also really stressed out about my drinking while I was drinking. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't like I wanted to get drunk. I actually didn't want to get drunk. It was like, no, let's really try to keep this together. You know, let's try not to black out, Trisha, like only have two, drink lots of water. And I just was obsessing about it all the time. I was obsessing about it while I was drinking it. Um, I was obsessing about it while planning my drinking. I was obsessing about it when I was recovering from it. It just took over my entire brain. And uh, I woke up on a Monday. I couldn't shake the hangover. That eventually, that's turned into physical withdrawals for two and a half days. Um, I always need to mention when I say that, if you are a daily drinker, please don't stop drinking cold turkey. Uh, please talk to your doctor because you can die from physical withdrawals. And alcohol affects women so much stronger than it does uh, with men. Uh, but after about three days, um, and I finally started to feel better. And I, I said to myself, okay, well, I, I I think we're doing this now. And, you know, it had been, that's three days was the longest I had been without alcohol in at least a year or two. And I thought I'd listen to a podcast. You know, I thought maybe I could just uh, listen to, I don't know. I don't know if I was fully committed at that point. I thought maybe I could just listen to some stories of, of other people who had quit. You know, maybe I could drink a bunch of green juice and, you know, take another two week break or something. But as soon as I heard someone's story that sounded a lot like my own, uh, things really started to change. And I realized that it was time. It was yeah. time. But that, but that shift only happened when I heard someone's story that sounded like mine, because I had no idea that there were other people like me that had seemingly normal lives, but also just struggled with this thing every day behind closed yeah. doors. And that's, that's when you start to realize that you can do this, when you realize you're not the only one who shares the same struggle. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy, but one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. 
therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash someday. I mean, I, um, I love listening to other stories too, because it's amazing how similar they are for so many people. I, when you were talking about perfectionism and overcompensating and anxiety, I mean, that was my exact thing that I was struggling with as well, you know, going through high school and college and then getting out of college and trying to be really, really self-sufficient and successful and yet having this so much self-doubt and anxiety and trying to not show anyone. Um, That's also when I was like, yep, I'm drinking every night. I'm drinking before business meetings and business trips and just thinking that it was helping me. And then it's super easy to get to a bottle of wine or more a night. I mean, I did that 365 nights a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also when you're self-sufficient and independent and you're used to being able to do everything you need by yourself without any help, it's really scary and frustrating when you can't do that with your drinking. Yes. You can't, you, it, it's like, I got to a point where this thing was bigger than I was and it wasn't just like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm hung over every day and that's uncomfortable. It was like, no, I'm shaking in the morning. A hangover isn't a hangover. It's, it's a detox. You know, I'm shaking yeah. in the morning. I'm starting to negotiate with myself all the time of why I can have white wine in the morning and, and why it's okay. And you start to make up all these crazy rules. And before you know it, you know, you don't have any control, but you also don't know how to stop. And that's the yeah. thing. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to say, I don't know how to do this thing by myself. Yeah. And you're not alone. There are so many other women out there. I mean, I know when women listen to their podcast, they're like, oh, I thought I was the only one, everybody else. You know, why can't I drink like quote unquote, everyone else? And I'm like, you have no idea what they're drinking. It's like so many of us worry and struggle and don't ever raise our hands because we think everyone else can drink normally. Right. And what is everyone else? You know, like everybody else can't drink like everyone else. I don't think that I think that a lot of people don't have healthy relationships with alcohol. I think that's probably more of the norm. Yeah, that's exactly it. I'm like, yeah, just like you, they go out and they look like they have one or two and then maybe they go home and drink a whole bottle. That's what I did. Exactly. Yeah. If you're starting to drink before you go out and then you need to keep drinking when you go home, yeah, that, you know, that's a sign that maybe you need to to take a closer look at your relationship with alcohol and why you're wanting to do that. Yeah. And in my mind, it was just the constant calculation of do I have enough at mm-hmm. home? Like, oh my gosh, I only have half a bottle at home. Can I stop on my way home from work? I had little kids at the time before I have to pick up a daycare and they close and oh no, traffic's bad. I won't have time to stop. I mean, that's a crazy thing to be stressed out about when you have a five-year-old and a corporate job and your big worry is, do I have enough time to stop for another bottle of wine because I don't have enough for tonight? Yes. The mental gymnastics. It's so much work. It's so much work. And then I actually got to a point where 
I would drink a bottle of wine very quickly and I wouldn't feel drunk and I would yeah. be so mad about that. And, I, and then I would have anxiety about that too. So it wasn't even, it stopped taking the edge off. It just started creating more anxiety yeah. and you just, you spiral and, um, it is a crazy, I mean, you feel like you're having a nervous breakdown, but it turns out you're just ingesting this poison that's designed to get you fucked up. And that's designed to make you physically addicted over time. You know, anyone can become physically addicted to alcohol and, uh, and that's not your fault. That is not your fault. Yeah. The substance is working as designed. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And if you can't say no to that again, not your fault and you are not alone. Yeah. Well, I know that um, one of the reasons I love your podcast so much and the the things you talk about is you go into non-traditional methods of recovery, but I was curious, what was your path? Yeah. So my path was like a a, a buffet of recovery. <laughs> Smorgasbord. It really was. I tried everything. Um, I started out, I went to an AA meeting and I started there. Um, it. 12-step work really served me well for the first year, year and a half. I I had a sponsor. I did the steps. I went to a lot of meetings. I enjoyed the community, uh, but I really enjoyed the step work. And, uh, but I also joined a sober Facebook accountability group, you know, and then I was listening to podcasts and then I went back to therapy and uh, I was trying exercise and I was reading Quitlet. And, you know, if my sponsor told me to try something, I would. If somebody else that I knew in my sober Facebook group told me to try something, I would. I started seeing all these different options that could potentially heal me, you know, to help me recover. And I was willing to try everything. And that's the great thing is that, you know, that was almost five years ago. The amount of options that we have now is so much bigger than it was even even just five years ago. So I always like to tell people that you don't have to do it one way and stick to that way forever. We evolve as people, you know, everything in our lives evolve. And that is a really good thing. That means there's movement that things that means you're not stuck. So trying everything and then maybe putting that thing down for a while and picking up this other thing over here, that is a wonderful way to recover. It keeps it interesting. You start to figure out what serves you and what doesn't. You can always go back to something else if this other thing doesn't work. And that was my method. I was just like, all right, I'm just going to do a little bit of recovery every day. And what that recovery entailed was many different things. And it has continued to change uh, over the past almost five years. Yeah. No. And I feel like a lot of women try different things both before it sticks right before they get there. And then even afterwards, they have to keep adding layers of support. So, you know, what I always think is like, if you haven't been able to stop drinking, and you've tried a couple things or a couple of approaches, all that means is you haven't found the right approach or the right amount of support yet. And you can just keep adding things until you find the path that feels really good for you. Right. And as you work through this process of recovery and really get underneath the drinking, because it's not about the alcohol, it's about what you're drinking over. Once you start to uncover those layers, you can then tweak your recovery even more. You know, if you realize, oh, wow, I have some codependency issues, then, you know, you can go read this book over here or talk to your therapist about that specific, you know, issue as you grow, your recovery grows. It's not necessarily that you're just trying things at random. It's that you're trying things that you didn't realize you need. And this process will take you 
you know, layer by layer, you start to meet yourself, you start to learn who you are, and then you can really start to evolve and figure out what you need. What you're doing on day one will look nothing like what you're doing on day 100, day 1000, 10 years later. Um, Again, that's, that's a good thing. Well, and what's kind of cool is, I mean, I always think that drinking is just a maladaptive coping strategy for whatever it is, for whatever is going on. And then the good and the bad is you remove the alcohol, you immediately feel or pretty soon a lot better, but all the shit still underneath it, all the reasons that you wanted to check out or drink or get out of your own head. And so that's sort of disappointing. I mean, I was like, I stopped drinking. And then four months in, I had like crushing anxiety. And I was like, what the fuck? I stopped drinking. Like, why am I not healed? But then I got to go to therapy and get on medication and start exercising. And like, I wish I'd figured out that stuff when I was 17 years old. Like Mm -hmm. I could have saved myself 20 years of crap. Yeah. Do you think 17 year old, you would have listened to you now though? Yeah. I probably probably would have been so cool. Like don't drink, (laughs) go to therapy. (laughs) Take some meds. You're good. My 17 year old self would have been like, you don't know my life. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. That's good. (laughs) And something about that four month mark too. I get it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. In my first year, I specifically remember months four and five being the hardest. And I think that's because after that first three months, the new and shiny wears off and it becomes a little less, I don't know, you know, shit gets real all of a sudden you're like, okay, well now I have a taste of what it feels like to not wake up physically ill every morning. Mm -hmm. But then you're like, but I also have all these feelings and I don't know what to do with them. And that's when the real work starts. A lot of us don't grow up learning what to do with anger. Yeah. Especially women, you know, we're, you know, it's just like, again, put on a smile, everything's like stuff down any negative emotion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I used to work with like the biggest smile on my face. People always told me, and I was like, I am freaking trembling inside with anxiety and a hangover, but like cool that you think of like the happiest person in the world. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We don't know what to do with those feelings. And that's part of recovery. You learn what to do with them. You learn to sit with them. Sometimes it's not about doing anything with them, but just sitting with them. And, uh, you know, that's when the rubber hits the road. So what was it for you? Like you said, months four and months five were hard. I know you talked about anxiety and perfectionism. Like when you got to that point, what was, what helped you? You know, a big, a big part of this for me that I still work on every day and will probably always work on is being a people pleaser mm-hmm. and thinking yeah. and thinking that I have to get everyone's approval around me for something to be okay. And that also contributes to my anxiety. I still struggle with that. You know, I, we, I, you have good days and bad days. So learning how to trust myself was a big part of this process and learning what to what's right for me without having somebody there holding my hand going, that's okay. You're okay. You're allowed to do that. There's some weird imaginary like parental unit or like government that was just always in the background in my mind, like that I was like waiting for that approval and that doesn't exist. It's not real. (laughs) And, you know, I, I say that, you know, I did uh, 12 step work for the, about the first year and a half. And I struggled for a little bit because that's an abstinence based program. And 
uh, you know, even non-alcoholic beer was frowned upon at certain meetings. I was like, well, I want to try non-alcoholic beer. I think that, you know, I think that sounds great. And I wasn't a beer drinker. It's not triggering to me. I love non-alcoholic beer. I love it. It's a great world out there. Um, it's not for everyone, but you know, you figure out what's, what works for you. But am I in recovery if I try this? Like, what if some people don't like this? You know, like I was so worried about how other people thought I should recover because I didn't. So you're like people pleasing out here. And then you go to 12 step and you're like, oh, I'm people pleasing in 12 step. Yeah, exactly. And, and you can't please everyone. And so I started, as I started to learn how to trust myself, you know, again, this is part of the evolution. I just would you know, move over here to this thing and, and like, okay, this feels good. And I did try the alcoholic beer and I loved it. And it's been a wonderful tool for me, but you know, people pleasing perfectionism, anxiety, they're very, they're braided together for me. Oh my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48. So if you're going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep. It is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H.com. And use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. And uh, I mean, I remember like one of the things I still struggle with was just being highly, highly uncomfortable. If I think anyone doesn't like me or approve of me, even if I don't like them, like mm -hmm. just somehow feel my securities threatened. If I think anyone's like, oh, she's a bitch or not good enough or whatever. And so that's really, you know, really hard to deal with. And of course, it's like from childhood and, you know, parents mm-hmm. moving around or whatever. But um, I, well, and nobody tells you that those people that you're worried about liking you aren't even thinking about oh you. Oh my God, right? You know, they're not, people are not up late at night wondering, like worried or mad at you because you didn't say hello to them that one day. Yeah, And like Nobody, all of their reaction is about whatever is going on with them. It's really every, yeah. about you. It should be an absolute relief to know that people aren't thinking about you. You know, yeah. isn't that a wonderful thing? And you yeah. can't, you can't recover perfectly. Yeah. You know, if you're a perfectionist, you're going to mess up. There are going to be times when you, you know, you're shaky and you, you make mistakes and, and that's part of the process too. You cannot do this perfectly. Yeah. Oh, completely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the, one of the hardest things and also just learning to sit with uncomfortable emotions and figuring out that you don't die and they pass and it gets better and it wasn't that big of a deal. And mm-hmm. when we're drinking, we're just like, no, no, I can't feel this. Mm-hmm. And then that mental habit, it just, 
your instinct is, it's like, you don't even question that thought anymore after a while. You just are automatically like, that's your go-to. No, I can't feel this. I, now I drink. No, I can't feel this. Now I drink. And, and that just becomes imprinted on your brain. And, and it's, it's hard to break that cycle, but it's absolutely doable. Yeah. Well, and one of the things I found was when I was drinking, I would, you know, you talked about uncomfortable emotions like anger or resentment or, you know, just frustration. I would not want to express those because I didn't want conflict. So I would drink and then I'd wake up and turn all those emotions and blame on myself. Mm -hmm. Like, what's wrong with you? What the fuck? Get your shit together. When, you know, my emotion of anger before was like completely justified. Right. We, we, we all have a right to feel our feelings and our feelings aren't us. You know, we are not our feelings. They're just this temporary thing that happens. And often just sitting and being angry for a while is so much easier than, you know, pushing it down, drinking over it, waking up hungover, hating on yourself. Like that is a 24 hour process. Being angry for half an hour, you know, that's a lot faster. And it, those feelings don't last forever. It is really healthy to, or to be angry. You yeah. know, everybody has a right to feel that it, we, we are designed to have different feelings for a reason. You know, there, I think, I think with evolution, our feelings were meant to teach us, you know? So I, I don't know when we became so afraid to feel those things. Turns out I'm actually a really angry person. <laughs> I, <love that. laughs> I am. Knew. Yeah. No, I didn't even know, but you hear me talk though. And we're laughing and we're having a good time. And you know, this is me, but when I get angry, I get really angry, but it doesn't define me. It's just a feeling. It's just a feeling that I'm strong enough to feel and get through and then move on to whatever's next in my day. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, one of the things I heard you say on a previous podcast that I loved was, you talked about the fear of missing out and that that kind of FOMO was what kept you from not giving it a solid chance for a while. Or you see that other people are like, I can't stop drinking because I won't have fun again. I won't be able to do this. And that it was a big lie that wasted a lot of time. Can you talk about that? Yes. Uh, you know, that was the inspiration behind starting a recovery happy hour because I wanted to talk to that person. I wanted to inspire that person who has, who has FOMO and let them know that like the party hasn't even started, you know, like when you are drinking, you're already missing out. This fear of missing out is here, sister. It is here. Like you are already, you're, you're hungover. So you're missing things. You're, you're drunk and blacking out. So you're forgetting things. You are already missing out, especially if you're like me and you would drink like a bottle of wine while watching Netflix alone on your couch. That's real glamorous, Trisha. Like, Ooh, that's so fun. You know, that's not the stuff you brag to your friends about. It's funny. Also something I hear a lot of people say on my show is that, you know, what am I going to do when I get married and I can't, you know, have that champagne toast? Like in what world do we ever make plans for our behavior for our entire life based on the liquid and a glass that we might have like six years from now. In what world does that make sense? But we do it. We do it. And we plan our whole lives around this. What if someday, like while you're planning that you are missing out on the present, the FOMO, it's not real. It's not real. You, You have to give this thing a chance and live it to understand, you know, the fear of the thing is always so much scarier than the thing itself. So it, it's just a big lie we tell ourselves. And it's so, it's so sad because we, we end up losing 
time, you know? Well, and you just reminded me of a memory that I had when you're like, okay, you're already missing out when you're drinking. I, when I had little kids, we had this New Year's Eve party with all of our couple friends at someone's house and grandma was here. So we were going to sleep over like a night with friends as an adult couple, you know, drink as much as you want. And I was so excited for it. I was like beside myself for weeks, went there and I ended up drinking, you know, you get there, you start drinking at four o'clock. Um, don't remember a whole lot of the night. And what I remember was just waking up, thank God, in my guest bed, all tucked in. Um, the next morning, brutally hungover. I had not made it to midnight. My husband had nowhere to, no one to kiss at midnight. I don't remember anything. And I'm like, how fun was that? Like, mm-hmm. I literally missed the entire night and mm-hmm. was ashamed and shaky and felt like shit the next day. Mm-hmm. Some of that is culture. You know, it's what we ingest in the media and you see the movies and TV shows that, you know, and commercials that show what a good time it is to drink. Um, but that's not real. You know, they don't show you the hangover the next day. You can't, they don't show you the blackout. Again, it's like you don't know until you try it. But for anyone who's listening that has FOMO and they don't, they don't even want to experiment giving up with alcohol. I just, I want you to know I've done the legwork. I've done the legwork. It is so much better on this side, but you have to try it and really, really try it. Like commit to it for a little while to understand that you're already missing out. And it's, it gets, it just, it can be so good if you would just stop overthinking it and do it. And when you you say like commit to it, give it some time, like how long do you have like a period of time that you're like, you cannot evaluate whether life without alcohol is good in just 30 days, 60 days, first 100 days. Do you have any sense of that? Well, I, I, I think rather than the length of time, I think it's more important to focus on your, what that finish line looks like in your, in your brain. So if you're going to do this for 21 days, well, then it sounds like you're just going to dry out because you're waiting for that 21 days to hurry up and be over. You know, Heather uh, from, uh, she runs ditch the drink, love her. She gave me the best metaphor one day. She goes, you know, if you're on a flight and it's a short commuter flight, you're on there for 45 minutes, you're just going to sit down, put on your seatbelt and just get ready to get there. Like you're just waiting to take off your seatbelt and, you know, deplane. If you're on a cross country flight, you're going to settle in. You're going to get a pillow. You're going to get a book. You're going to have your headphones and you're really going to just sit and enjoy yourself. You're not going to be like antsy and ready to get there, but that only happens because you're not just waiting for it to end. You're really committed to that time and present in it while you're there. I think it's the same with drinking. It's not like if you're going to experiment, just pay attention to your body every day in that day, rather than waiting for the day when you're done. You know, I, I think that that, that experiment is more important than the length of time. I actually love that metaphor. You're right. That is so awesome of like, settle into it, get comfortable, find something you're going to enjoy doing during this period of time. Like mm-hmm. that's perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, really commit to it. Because if you're just waiting for something to be over, then you've already got one foot out the door. What are yeah. you learning? You know, you're probably more, you're probably paying more attention to how annoyed you are rather than uh, all the benefits. That yeah, are part just of it counting too. down the days until your reward is to drink again. 
Right. And it's the same with, you know, every dry January and sober October and all those, uh, those trends, which are great trends. Uh, but you know that if you're going to try that, something to pay attention to is, are you just waiting until the first of the next month so you can get wasted? Well, yeah. th- if that's, if that's the case, first of all, you're not alone and you're not a bad person, but that's important data to really look into and, and dig into, you know, why are you wanting to do that? You know, that's recovery is asking yourself those questions. It's not so much about being about how long you've quit drinking for it's doing the work underneath it. That's the recovery. Mm -hmm. Well, and so I know you've said like the life beyond the bottle is a life worth living, which is one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you because I find that so awesome and inspiring. But can you tell me what some of the cool things that you've experienced in the last like four and a half years that you've just Mm -hmm. been like, God, life is so much better without drinking. You know, um, one of the neatest things that I've done is, is made a career change. Uh, I, at the time when I got sober, I owned a business and we were growing and I was building into a new space and was on this, this path that I thought I loved. And then as I got sober and started doing some work on myself and really learned who I was, I realized that I hated what I was doing. And it took me some time, but I split with my business partner. I came up with an exit strategy. I closed the business. I got myself out of debt. I mean, I moved back in with my parents for a while. I uh, made a huge life change. And even though that work was hard and it's not something that's like, oh yeah, I went on this great vacation with all my drinking money that I saved. I would have never had the guts to do that if I was drinking, you know, because I... I wouldn't have taken the time to really understand what I wanted and needed out of life. So making a career change was a, was a big surprise to me. Um, I always thought that it would be really hard to like go out to eat and enjoy a nice meal without drinking or go on vacation. And I've done all those things. And they're so much more fun when you're sober because you remember everything. You're not flushing so much money down the toilet on booze and you're not feeling sick every day. Yeah. Like going on vacation and being hungover for 50% of it and then just being drunk for the other 50%. Yeah. I mean, that might be what I was used to, but man, it sucked. And yeah, doing I love and, all my sober vacations. Like they're yes. so much better than when I was drinking. They really are. And you remember them and, and you're present. And again, I, I hate to bring it back to money, but that's such an easy metric to, yeah. and it's so, it's so instantly gratifying, but you know, you find other things to reward yourself yeah. with and other activities that are more fun. It's just a matter of getting out of that drinking, you know, thinking rut that we're well, in, I like if that's our only option where I count the, all the money I've saved, not drinking, like to this day, mine's like $35,000. Okay. I'm going to, I have that too. And I'm going right. to look at it right yeah. now. I'm going to look at it. Let's see. Um, Not that it's competition. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) No, but. Oh, okay. Check this out. I just crossed over $25,000. Oh my gosh. I think I drank more expensive stuff. Maybe. (laughs) Just you. No, you also have a few, have a number of months on me too. We're probably about around the same. If you compare apples to apples. So $25,000, right? So that $25,000 is like, two, it's probably, well, no, it's probably like three first class tickets to Bali and back, you know, like, and the trip to Bali itself. Let's get real. I mean, huts are like, you know, $7 a day. All right. Um, yeah, go to Bali. 
<laughs> I have this thing where every trip I take now, I take all the money I would have spent on wine. And, you know, I'm sure I spend this money like seven different ways, but 35 grand, that's a lot of money. And I buy jewelry from every place like Venice, Croatia. The necklace I'm wearing right now is from Paris. Like, and I remember it and I celebrate and I'm always like, oh yeah, I'm going to buy my like sober, you know, jewelry right now. It's so yeah. much well, and the money that you save on, on alcohol, you know, that doesn't even include all the money that we wasted on hangover cures and doctor's visits and all the other stuff that you do to accommodate your drinking or the drunk shopping, like, or you know. like not being able to drive home. Like that was, a big yes, exactly. So that's just like, that's just the beginning yeah. of the money that you save. Well, what I think is cool too, is that like, I loved what you said about doing a career change because I did that too. I actually, you know, after three years of being sober, I quit my corporate job that I'd been in for like 25 years. I was like corporate digital marketing. And I always like kind of hated it. Like it stressed me out, all the reorgs and layoffs and transitions and different bosses and the goals kept increasing but I was just drinking to medicate it, to get through it and didn't have the time or energy to even think through what else I could possibly do because I just was barely coping with my life. And then once I quit drinking and I did some work, my confidence increased, my anxiety went down, I had more energy and brain space. And so I finally had the confidence to leave my corporate job. And I don't think I would have ever done that if I was drinking. Right. It's amazing. And you do, it's not like you quit drinking to change your career. Like that was just a byproduct and a surprise, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and exactly. I love the quote about like, it's not so much about becoming something. It's about unbecoming all the stuff that was never really you. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. That is really, really good. Well, and, and part of, you know, part of my experience was not just like, oh, I don't want, I don't want to do this anymore. It's also that I learned how to say, that I, I can now end that sentence with, and that's okay. Like yeah. me deciding that for myself is okay. I don't have to worry about what anyone else is thinking anymore. I don't have to worry about this imaginary rule I set for myself that, you know, I've done this, I've decided this, so now I've committed to it forever. Like I was so just black and white with everything. Mm -hmm. And now I'm understanding that life is all gray area and that I have the autonomy to make my own choices whenever I want. Yeah. I can do whatever I want to do. I can change my mind. If I want to do this thing, great. If I want to do that thing, great. Nobody's keeping tabs on me. Well, that's not true. Strangers on Instagram are keeping tabs on me. And sometimes they send me emails and it's really annoying. No, but they don't, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Just you wait. <laughs> I know that has not happened to me. And I'm not great at bad feedback. So. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. If you're yeah. listening to this, please don't send me hate mail because I, I take it personally. Yeah. And don't send me hate mail either. <laughs> Stop that. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and also quitting drinking is a hard thing to do, right? That's brave. And once you do that, you're like, I can do anything. Yes. Because it's not just the the, the fact that it's hard. It's that we're pushing back against a cultural norm as well. We are sold an idea that you have to drink, you know, you have to drink to deal with your stress, to be glamorous, to work hard, play hard. There's all these stories that we tell ourselves as to why we're expected to drink. 
Uh, so much so that it's weird and people give you strange looks. And when you say you don't drink, you know, that's why so many people are scared to come out and say, Hey, I'm sober. We're, we're pushing back on this thing. And that we've been sold that doesn't serve us. And that's also kind of something I like to focus on as far as like the, how my show is formatted. You don't have to be an alcoholic to yeah. quit drinking. You know, you it, obviously it's okay if you have a problem. That's why you and I are having this conversation. But even if you're not an alcoholic or if you're just drinking a glass of wine a night, but that's something that you obsess out, you know, over every day, that qualifies you. Anything qualifies you. You don't have to have like your problem doesn't have to be bad enough. You don't have to get to that point of of destroying your life to go, well, now I'm done. Like it's okay to catch yeah. it early. Well, and, and you and- don't have to adopt that label. I actually don't use the term alcoholic to describe myself or almost anyone unless they want to, unless that's how they identify, just because I don't find it useful to me. I just I tell people like I quit drinking. I used to drink a lot. I stopped because I feel better without it. That shit wasn't good for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the other thing is like, we get so wrapped up in the labels and, you know, it's like, well, I don't want to quit, you know, but, but I'm not an alcoholic. Well, okay. Well, that's fine. But are you happy? Yeah. Are you, do you wake up in the morning excited about your life or are you miserable and hating yourself? That's the question you need to be asking yourself. I don't have a problem with the word alcoholic. I mean, I I think I probably use that interchangeably with a slew of other words, Mm -hmm. but um, it's not, I just, I guess I'm just kind of indifferent about all of it, but uh, getting wrapped up in the labels is the wrong thing to get wrapped up in. Ask yourself, are you happy? You know, that's, that's, that's where you start. And if you're like not wanting to stop drinking because you don't want to adopt a label, just know that you don't have to, it's not required. It's not required. You can do whatever you want. You can literally do whatever you want. <laughs> but one thing I've I've been listening to a couple of your your podcasts and you one conversation that I loved was one you had with Paul Churchill of Recovery Elevator and in it you were talking about mind, body and spirit. And you know, you said that you know, just what's happened with you there, um, you wouldn't go back to drinking because if you decided to do that, you would throw away all the hard work you did on a healthier mind um, and a healthier body, clearer mind, more evolved relationship with spirituality. And I thought that was pretty inspiring. It's funny. I don't remember saying that at all. in your like second episode ever, but you said drinking oh. is such an easy way to flush all that hard work down the toilet. It's true. And actually, if I if I were to go back and re-record that, I would have worded that differently because even if you go back to drinking, you don't flush down, you don't flush your work down the toilet. That's that's data you have forever. Yeah. I uh, just want to point that out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, one of the things that I learned how to do when I quit drinking was just be in my body mm-hmm. period. And, uh, that separation of understanding your feelings and knowing when you're tired or when you're stressed out, you know, drinking just puts a, uh, it just puts a huge barrier down between you and, and your body and your intuition and knowing what feels good and what doesn't. And, uh, 
just being friends with my body now is a, is a huge benefit to sobriety. Uh, I was able to really discover my own faith in sobriety and my, my relationship with God, you know, finding a church that I love connecting with other women that believe the same way that I do. Those are things I would have never found if I had, uh, continued down the path that I was on. And yeah. And then of course, feeling good when you wake up, you know, the only hangover I have now is just like when I'm tired, like being tired is like the sober person's hangover. And if that's, if that's my only complaint, as far as how I feel physically, that is a great problem to have. Yeah. Yeah, I have to say I have a cold now. I just got it um, coming back from Hawaii, I'm sure. And, you know, we haven't left the house in like a year and a half. So I haven't been sick at all. Every time I get sick, I'm like, oh my God, I used to feel this way every day. Like, how did I live with that? And just, I was so used to it. I don't think I even knew what feeling healthy and energized and good was like. Yeah. You don't even know what baseline is because you're always below. You're always just trying to get to feeling some sort of normal. And now I wake up and I know what baseline feels like. Then it's just a matter of like, how can I make myself feel even better today? I'm not just grasping for straws and finding some way to get through my day anymore. And that's also like when you feel sick, then you know what feeling sick feels like. You know, it's not like you're, when I was hungover, I, I felt like I woke up with a cold every day because I just felt so ill. I had COVID last fall. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I would have felt this the way that I felt it then, because I was just feeling ill all the time when I was drinking, you know, you know what a healthy baseline feels like now. You know, what's funny is I I just today, someone posted who's a friend of mine in one of the sober Facebook groups, the private groups online that I love. And she said she was sick, she had a cold. And it was so crazy, because when she was drinking, she would never admit to being sick, because who would drink if they had a really bad sore throat or a fever or, you know, felt like crap. And so she was like, if I tell my husband or anyone that I'm sick, then I won't be able to have my bottle of wine tonight. And I was just like, I never did that either. Like, you're like, no, I'm never sick because, you know, then it's really awkward to open your bottle of wine if you've been complaining about being ill all day. Yeah, I never thought about that. I, I, you know, that's funny. Of all the weird rules that I created for myself, that strangely wasn't one of them. That, I mean, there's not a whole lot of those that I can talk <laughs> about. <laughs> that wasn't one of them. I do remember, you know, I caught the flu one year and maybe three days into it, I was like, you know what? I can probably have a screwdriver because it's orange, you know, it's got orange juice in it, you know, <laughs> awesome. or like or like hot toddies, like, oh, I'm going to oh, have hot a hot toddy. Yeah. Good for you if you're, if oh, you're yeah. To this, no, that's a joke. <laughs> yeah. That's our total sarcasm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this, oh, this will burn it out of me. This is healthy, you know? And it's yeah. just the shit that we tell ourselves so we can, so we can keep drinking. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so tell us about your podcast because everyone listening to this loves podcasts, but they may not know yours. Sure. So um, it's called Recovery Happy Hour. And the format is it's really just me talking about a topic for the first eight or 10 minutes of the show, you know, similar uh, to you. And then I have a guest on um, every almost every episode. Um, I, I don't like focusing too much on the drunk part of the story. I really like talking more about recovery and celebrating what life is like, uh, because you don't 
think about drink, not drinking forever. Eventually you move on with your life, you know? And so I wanted to share that part of the story. So I have guests that come on that, that have all different ways that they've recovered. There's no one right or wrong way to do this. And so I've got anyone that's, you know, doing 12 step work to yoga retreats to, um, you know, Facebook accountability groups, recovery coaches, plant medicine, you name it. I've just, if they've, if, if it's something that is new and we haven't talked about, then let's bring them on the show because if they can't be the only person who yeah. needed, who needed that modality. So, uh, that's been a really neat part of it that, you know, we laugh a lot and, uh, I just want to, I want people to hear a conversation between two people who have conquered this thing that used to hold them hostage and, and communicate the fact that life didn't end. You know, it's not like, Oh, I had to quit drinking and I'm an alcoholic and (sighs) you need to be in penance for the rest of your life. Yeah. That is not how it works. You know, you have to, first of all, you have to laugh at this stuff. So you don't, so you don't kill someone (laughs) and, and, you know, eventually you get on, you move on to the joy, you know, you move on to the joy and all the new things that you love doing. So we just, you know, we celebrate that. Um, and, uh, it's fun. It's fun. I think there's something for everything. Uh, there's something for everyone on there. Well, I love how you focus on, you know, the optimism and how good life is without drinking because it is really good. And there is so much opportunity. I mean, I always think that my world got so much bigger after I quit drinking that drinking actually made my world pretty small of Mm -hmm. the activities I would do and the people I would hang out with and sort of limiting my life and my choices to kind of accommodate my bottle of wine (laughs) and I'd have it, which. And and you you too, you probably made yourself small, you know, like we, we, yeah, we all we all do it. Sorry to interrupt. But when you said small, I was like, I was like, I did that. I tried to make myself as small as possible in order to accommodate all of these unrealistic expectations that I set for myself, you know? And I was pretty guarded and defensive. Like I didn't want anyone to look at me too closely. So I didn't let a lot of people in and, you know, you quit drinking and suddenly you get new friends and new habits. And, you know, the beginning is really hard, but afterwards it gets so much bigger. Hmm. Yeah. And not the truth. That is, that's gospel right there. Yeah. Well, anything else you want to say to anyone listening to this, who's sort of in that tough spot of thinking about stopping drinking or trying and then going back and forth? You know, first of all, you're not alone. Um, there are so many people that feel just like you. And I know for a fact, if you're listening, I probably never met you, but I do know that you're more capable than you think you are. We're all so much stronger than we know, but find your why. And if that is as simple as writing down a list, you know, look at that list, fold it up, keep it in your pocket and keep looking at it. And you're not going to, the booze isn't going anywhere. You know, it's not going to leave the planet while you quit drinking, never to be found again. If you decide you want to go back, it's still on the shelf at the store. I just saw. So, so if you want to try, then, then do it like really jump in and do it. And if you hate it, you can always go back to drinking, but you're capable. And I believe in you. 
I really do. I believe in everybody that wants this. I believe you're capable and I believe you can do it. And it's great. It really is. Come join us. (laughs) Definitely. Well, everyone should listen to Recovery Happy Hour because it's just such a great show. So thank you for coming on here. I couldn't appreciate it more. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.